Welcome back to another episode of Little Geek Lost, but I think we already established that if you clicked on it, whether it was through iTunes or Google Play or through the website or whatever podcasting app you use, you already know that you're listening to Little Geek Lost. But I am your host, Mandy, and I am doing a whole pile of 90s music episodes, so I thought it was time to do another solo one, and I decided to do it on Britpop. I was a huge fan of Britpop in the 90s, still kind of am. And it was sort of really fitting because there was another British invasion of Britpop music in the 90s. So it really, you know, fit with the whole theme of it all, I guess. With with me growing up, I was always a really big fan of everything in the UK. Um, I think it's actually called Anglophile (laughs) is what people are called who are obsessed with the UK. Being a Canadian, we had a lot of British... TV shows and my parents were like super into it. Um, Are you being served and keeping up appearances and Monty Python, Faulty Towers, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of really grew up with it. Uh, completely fell in love with British accents still to this day. Have you know real soft spot for them as it were for British accents and British people. Um, so 90s Britpop was sort of a natural progression for me. And I think it kind of, if I want to go back, I want to say that it started with Blur. So I don't know for sure exactly when it started, but probably around, I'm going to guess 1994 when their song Girls and Boys came out. I was a huge fan of it and them and had their cassette tapes. I had the Parklife cassette tape, which that was from Parklife and everything else. And back to cassette tapes, right? So I was 13 at the time and just a huge, huge fan. It instantly clicked with me. Um, I liked the music, I liked the sound, I liked the whole British feel of it. So from there I kind of went to explore other British bands and kind of see, you know, what else, what else was out there, what else was similar to that kind of thing. And at the time it was when CDs were just sort of starting to take off and so you could go and like listen to them at the store, the, the CD store, the music store at the mall. But the problem was a lot of British music, if it wasn't super mainstream, was you get stuck. You get stuck with imports. Um, for whatever reason, they decided, hey, we're going to slap an import CD on this or an import price on the CD, and you know we're going to charge like double the price. So it was like thirty, forty dollars for one CD, which is ridiculous. Like no one would pay that. So I remember going and trying to find stuff that maybe wasn't you know forty dollars for a CD because you know being thirteen, fourteen years old, you can't really afford that. So even if it's a Christmas present, it's kind of a lot of money. Um, so from the thing with Blur kind of led me into Oasis, of course, and the whole, you know, Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova and that whole album was probably my next biggest one that I got and one that I can actually vividly remember having on CD. And I've told the story before that it's kind of funny where I didn't have a lot of like aggressive music when I was an early teen. It was mainly Britpop because that was my Britpop phase. And so I remember like, you know, being mad at my parents and slamming my door to my room and going to turn my music up really loud. But the problem was it was Oasis. So, you know, you're sitting there blasting like Don't Look Back in Anger or Wonderwall. It doesn't really feed the teenage, like teenage angst or aggression, right? It's just going to kind of like mellow you out. My dad was kind of like, turn it up because, because it wasn't bad music. So it didn't really help, you know, when I was trying to like act out or whatever. Um, so Oasis was another one. From there, I'm pretty sure that I found Pulp after that, who were another huge band. Um, Jarvis Cocker was the main dude and Common People, you know, was probably the one that most people know. Um, Disco 2000. They're another sort of 
more mainstream British one, more like mainstream in British pop, maybe not mainstream in music at the time. And so a lot of the other bands I was finding, whether it was from, you know, the record store or the, I guess, CD store, the music store, um, if I wasn't going there, I was listening to Much Music, which was our Canadian version of MTV. So it was our music channel that actually had music videos at the time for majority of the day. I remember it was called Video Flow and it was just like a majority of the day was it. So I had my VCR back then because we didn't have DVRs. So I had my VCR and I would record, you know, like the music during the day. But they had these special, like special event weekends where it'd be like a whole pile of whatever themed music they were having. And they used to have British Invasion ones. So it'd be a lot of Britpop music that I may not have heard before or it was bands that I had heard. So it kind of exposed me to a lot more of it that way and that's how I found more I guess like non-mainstream ones so there was probably like menswear and ash which were more well ash I think was a bit more mainstream than menswear at the time um bands that had that I really liked their sound of and I don't think that many people especially menswear <laughs> even know um menswear songs so I remember you know falling in love with those bands from then and begging you know for birthdays and Christmases and I remember getting the men's or CD and my uncle actually had this thing where he'd buy music for me but he'd want to listen to it first so it was really weird that like you know he'd be listening to these CDs he's like I don't understand them but you know he'd listen to them um and I remember the men's were one specifically because again it was an import CD and it was like forty dollars for one CD which it's ridiculous. I mean, I wouldn't even pay that for a DVD or a Blu-ray. I would not pay $40. Why would I pay $40 for a CD? But back then, that's how you had to get your music, right? You didn't really have all these streaming services to go on the internet and download songs and pay a dollar or 99 cents a song or whatever it was. So you didn't have a choice, you know? You had to go to the store and pay $40 for the CD. And a lot of times, like sometimes you could listen to them ahead of time. They'd have like listening booths or little listening areas to the side. And they'd be nice enough to let you listen to a CD before you bought it. But if you didn't have that chance or it wasn't, you know, one that they listened to or whatever, then you'd kind of have to just sort of take the gamble, right? You'd buy the CD and hope that you liked it because you weren't allowed to return CDs. They'd figure, like, you're, I guess you're just taking it home and listening to it or copying it to tape or something like that and then bringing it back. So you weren't allowed to return CDs and sort of basically if you bought one, you're stuck with it. So you kind of really hoped you liked it. And a lot of the time with these British ones, you sort of took that gamble because you may not know all the songs because they aren't mainstream in our media over here. So I remember those being like sort of a big gamble at the time. Um, Some other ones that were huge, you know, Elastica. And I remember the Chicken Elastica was actually dating the guy from Blur. So that was kind of like, you know, a big deal crossover or whatever. Um, Elastica was like a girl version or a girl British band. And they were more like dancey poppy kind of I guess try to explain it <laughs> trying to explain what Brit pop is um blur was the one that most people probably know and still know to this day and a lot of people started liking blur around when song two came out which was later in the 90s and for me personally I don't like that song I think that's kind of when they sold out <laughs> as it were and changed their sound a lot I like a lot of the older stuff going back to like park life and everything like that um, I'm just trying to go through this list of other British bands. So The Verve, they were another big one with British <laughs> Bittersweet Symphony. 
was the one that most people would know from them. Um, aside from Pulp, Suede was another big British band, but they're sort of more the early '90s, and they're kind of like an older, an older band, and had an older feel to it. Um, Supergrass was another one that was around, and then Kula Shaker. So Kula Shaker was this really cool British band that was more. They had like a real like Eastern European influence, like an East Indian, not Eastern European, <laughs> East Indian influence to it, where it was a lot of like um, Hindu type stuff and that whole feel. So it's kind of like when the Beatles had their thing where they turned, you know, with their swamis and gurus and whatever. And so Kula Shaker had a lot of that. And they had this really cool song. It was like Govinda. And it was just all in what, you know, probably Hindi or another language like that but it's a really cool feel and vibe and something that was you know again super unique and different at the time so that was another one that I was a really big fan of um Robbie Williams was big at the time and he was in the band Take That which was like a British boy band and I remember listening to him more when he sort of went off on his own um did his own thing I had his own had his own album I remember having that specifically and there was a song, Jesus in a Camper Van, which just always kind of stuck out, you know, stood out to me in my head. But his rock DJ song, I remember that. Um, and another one that I was a really big fan of at the time that I'll probably get more into in my 90s techno episode <laughs> was The Prodigy. So you probably know The Prodigy from Smack My Bitch Up and Firestarter. Um, more, I guess you'd call it EDM because EDM's the general term for dance music or whatever now. I called it techno because that's what we called it in the 90s. So I was a huge fan of Prodigy or The Prodigy and I had their albums at the time but I was such a big fan that there was like single CDs released so it'd be like a CD that had like two songs on it and it'd just be like extra import versions or whatever, right? So it'd just be like remixes and it'd have like, say it was Firestarter so you'd get the original Firestarter and then there'd be like two other remixes on it or extended remixes. So it'd be like six minutes or something like that. So it'd have like three songs on it and you're paying like 20 bucks for this probably. So I had like a whole pile of those and I remember like moving out from my parents' house and then like changing houses a few times and they're like, you need to deal with these old CDs of yours and going back there and seeing like, you know, my CD rack that had like a whole pile of Prodigy CDs. I think I had like four or five maybe just like single CDs on top of like the regular like three or four Prodigy CDs I had. So that was kind of like a lot of Prodigy CDs to have with all the weird singles and remixes and stuff. So I think that that was probably only second to Blur because Blur I had like I said I had a couple cassette tapes and a couple CDs of Blur. So that was the fun part of the 90s right across over media you had from cassette tape to CDs which I guess is kind of like lately where you crossed over from CDs to digital streaming and every time you get like a new digital streaming service now you have to update your playlist sort of thing right like if you have iTunes or you change to Spotify or something like that you're always constantly updating your playlist copying it over it was like then the 90s but it was basically on like one media with like one band and one album at a time so if you had some like the Park Life cassette tape then you have to buy the Park Life CD so it's kind of a pain transferring media that way. Um, but yeah, like super big into 90s Britpop and, you know, I've been doing the whole 90s vibe lately for music and movies and stuff and going back and listening to it. And I think a lot of it still, you know, it holds up. Like you can tell when something's a 90s song just from like the guitar and the feel and the style of it. 
but I mean, listening to a lot of the Britpop and then finding them like, oh, I remember that band. You know, I remember Ash and Menswear and Space Hog with their song in the meantime, which I've had on podcasts and talked about a lot because that was a big one that, you know, a lot of people know the song, but they may not know like the name of it or the band. And I think that's probably how a lot of the Britpop was too, right? So there was the whole big invasion again um which was like a repeat of the the original british invasion in the 60s with the beatles and the rolling stones and everyone else and it was this whole big resurgence in the 90s which was kind of before we had all these like sh- subgenres of music there was just sort of like the main ones so there was like pop and metal and rock and then that's kind of what there was but the 90s were kind of this time where everything got sort of flipped, I guess, and you had started breaking things down to subgenres, and Britpop was a subgenre of pop. It may not have been more poppy necessarily because stuff like Suede and, you know, The Verve, maybe not so much pop, more rock, but definitely you had like Elastica and Oasis and Pulp and stuff that were poppy type music, I guess, to put it. Um, you know, pop going back to popular or whatever, but pop is sort of you know, not necessarily just popular music anymore. It's its own feel and sound and whatever, right? So so Britpop in the 90s, kind of a big deal, kind of a lot of stuff that I still listen to today, you know, when I make my my playlists and music and, and everything that I want to listen to. I tend to put a lot of, you know, 90s Britpop on there. It always goes back to Blur for me. When I think of like 90s Britpop, I always go back to Blur because they were my first favorite band from the 90s especially 90s Britpop and there was always like sort of like the war between Blur and Oasis because they're both you know the mainstream British pop bands at the time and kind of competing and I sort of always took the side of Blur because I just liked their music a lot more so that's my 90s Britpop episode I guess Um, another short one because that's just how they are right I mean, I could probably dive into it a lot more, but I just wanted to go over my thoughts on them. Um, so if you have any 90s Britpop bands or want to talk about British stuff, if you're a British person and you want to hit me up so I can hear your accent, that'd be pretty cool too. Um, you can find me at all my social media stuff, which is at the end of the episode. And yeah, you know what? I'm going to play a little bit, because I don't want to get hit for copyright, a little bit of... Girls and Boys from Blurry because it's probably, you know, one of their most recognized songs aside from song two. And we'll go out on that. <laughs> 